0: So, for, first, I, I did just want to encourage you guys about something. Um, so, we've been through so much as a church in, in, over the last several years, and Dorothy, it is so awesome that you're here this morning, because this is so, like, resonant at my heart. Like, here's a woman whom God has used to give this church to us, like, literally. And I, I don't know why, but... Um, this has never happened to me before that I can remember. I was planning on leading worship this morning and helping Jared and Adair lead by supporting them with guitar and and being able to talk to them about the music. And something happened to me last night and continued to percolate this morning. And this has never happened before, but I just was so burdened that God did not want me up here leading worship. He wanted me back there praying. So I, I spent... You know most of my worship time praying in the conference room instead of being able to worship this morning with the guitar and be able to help tony or J- be able to help J- uh, Jared and Adair get ready. I just was like, "Go pray, go pray, and I didn't know exactly what to pray for. um I just trusted that the Lord knows i've been through enough calls to prayer in my heart where I know sometimes I know what to pray for, and sometimes all I know to do is just to say, "Lord, you know what I- needs prayer, and I'm just going to put my face before you and say." May your will be done, may your will be done. But as I did continue to pray, I felt the Lord free my heart to pray for our church to flourish. For our church not only to survive, but to flourish. And that's not an easy prayer for me to pray right now. Let me explain why. Because in my flesh, I have a lot of fleshly self-interest in wanting our church to survive. No one wants to be part of something that doesn't work. No one wants to see a ministry and the lifeblood of their hands not work. And so I can tell that there are ways in which I want to put my security, humanly speaking, in this church growing numerically and even growing spiritually. I can find indwelling sin, which is not my new man, but still tries to clutch and glab, trying to take territory. And so I I do try to pray for you faithfully, regularly, uh, but there are times where I can ask God to make the church grow and make the church prosper, and I can tell that just as David could count the mighty men, Satan might want to make my heart, find my security. And so my motives get mixed and muddied, and we'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But this morning, I felt very free to just ask God to prosper this church and to, 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 um, to keep this church a witness for him, a lampstand for him, and a place of rescue and healing for you. And so I did that. And, and it occurred to me last night to tell you guys about how, how real and important this is in my own life. I know it's, it's, last night as I was um, going through the week I went through, I was, I got to the end of the week and I was really discouraged last night. And I haven't felt this way in quite a long time, which I'm really grateful for. But I was really blue. And and that was kind of as honest as I could be. <laughs> but but I just, I felt extremely weary. I felt extremely uh, discouraged. and um, And it was hard, you know, as a pastor to want to communicate that all to you all. But I knew that the people in this church know me and they love me and they've told me plenty of their garbage and their struggle and their crud and their weakness. And it didn't take a ton of spiritual courage to just set up like 14 people in a text and just say, I'm feeling blue. I'm feeling discouraged. Would you please pray for me? And I did not feel, um, I, I, like that was just real. I didn't text it and start to like, oh, I love these people. They love me so much. It was just like, I'm just down for the count. And so I started getting some texts back, we're praying for you, praying for you. And I can't tell you at some point in the last 12 hours, it was really just shocking how full of strength I became and how full of energy and encouragement and power I became. And it, I, I just went from, from Z to A spiritually. And, and, I, and it's, <laughs> it's so important that, y- that I know you and you know me and you're not just someone who flutters in and out of my life. Like, you care for my soul. You keep watch over me over the weeks and months and years and years. And now, for some of us, our friendship has turned into years and years and years of ups and downs and hardship. And when I ask you to pray for me, that's all there. And when you tell me you're praying for me and you come back to me, that's all there. There's so much that's involved in being committed to a people. God doesn't call us to be committed to the church in abstraction, not as an idea. No, he calls us to specific people that, are, that are, we're called to love and lay our lives down for over, over many, many years. That's usually what he does with most of us. And that's not easy, especially not today when the internet just tells you everything you need to know about the Christian life. You can, you, you can hear a thousand better teachers than you'll ever hear out of, out of my teaching on the internet. You can find them. I can tell you who they are. And most of you guys know who they are. But you can't watch over their souls. You can't can't get their texts when they're really blue and and, and pull them out of the mud. And listen, if you hadn't pulled me out of the mud, if I got stuck in the mud, I may not be in the worst things now. But if the trajectory keeps going in the wrong direction, then I can really shipwreck my family. I can really yell at my wife. I can really abandon my kids to ministry identity. I can really look at something I shouldn't look at on the internet once, twice, three times and get bound to that without help. And, and, and it's just, I'm just one member here who needs your care and support. I'm a pastor. But last night, you, you laid your lives down and prayed for me and lifted me out of, of, of not a great place. So I, I just want to ask you guys, and I believe I'm doing this from the Lord and not from my own self-interest for, for um, making a name for myself. I want to ask you guys to be faithful to this church and to call others in this church to be faithful to her. And I believe God wants us to do a rebuilding that's, that's been going on. You know, when I, when I met, uh, when we first moved into this building, Dorothy, can you hear me? When, when we first moved into this building last September, it was, like a, it was like a rescue, if you guys remember. We had a vote in August of whether we were gonna stay at church or not. <laughs> and, and we voted overwhelmingly to stay at church. I mean, some of you guys were like, what are you talking about? But for those of us who are in leadership, watching what we'd been through, it was so encouraging to hear that vote. And right at the same time, this El Shaddai came and said would you come and be would you come and have your church here and it, for me it was such a concrete expression of god saying i want this church to survive and i remember one of the first conversations i had with with pastor todd in that office was he just said albert this this first year or so you he didn't say year he just said for this there's a season right now you're being called to dry dock it's dry dock and he wasn't telling me we couldn't try to do outreach we couldn't do soul fishing or or we couldn't do um, Dorcas like we're going to do today. Obviously, we, we, we have to do that. But he was saying, essentially, don't expect like, this church to, to grow like Bangusters nu- nu- numerically or, or to have tons of clarity about what you should be and what you should do. You guys have been, you guys have been <laughs> torpedoed. Like, mm, your sails have been ripped up. You know Your hall has been shattered. God's bringing you into dry dock. This is a place, this is a season for you guys to pull in and rest and repair. And that's what those Tuesday nights have become for me and for some of you guys who, 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 who've been there. It's just, it's been a place of rest and repair. But I do wonder if God is calling us soon to a place of, figuratively speaking, moving more and more out of that safe harbor and more and more into the waters of a new season of of healing and a new season of strength a new season of calling each other a new season of clarity of of mission and and i i don't know i can't i can't put all that on you but but i know that this morning i have faith to ask you to be faithful as in your good conscience you know there are times where god calls us to different ministries and different churches but before the lord if the lord would have you continue to commit here and continue to stay here do that be faithful to her Come to care group and care for one another. Go to Samson Society. Come to Tuesday night prayer. Do Dorcas. Come soul fishing with us. Reach out in texts for prayer. And when people reach out to you in prayer, answer their texts. Be with one another. Build each other up. Use all the formal and informal methods God gives us care groups and texting to stay in touch with each other to keep watch over each other to guard each other and think about what god might have you do begin to pray even now lord is there something new you want me to carry is there some study or fellowship or coffee or something you want me to do with my hands physically you want me to lift things i wasn't chairs and monitors and speakers or is there something you want me to start in terms of a ministry like deb when she led the shame group this this year is there something you put in my heart to do and and come and talk to me or Mike or Jim or David and, like, help us, f- help you figure that out. We're not here to get in your way. We're here to equip you so you can do the work of ministry, too, alongside us. So, man, have I got a sermon to preach anymore? Let me just pray for a moment because I don't know if, after all that, the Lord would want me to keep you here a ton of time longer. Would you guys just pray for me? pray with me right now lord i just give you this time right now and ask you god to bless it in jesus name i pray amen i do trust god wants me to move into this and i'll try not to be un un, um, unhelpfully more verbose than what i'm going to say but i do feel like um, i want to do this dorothy thank you for all you've done in your life we're here by the lord's grace through you today so it's 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 neat to have all this on my heart about our church continuing and thriving and to see you here this morning, the one who who humanly speaking made this place available to us i just I take that as a sacrament from the Lord that why he would have you sit in this seat this morning for that reason um and man and and then there's just uh, Tony, I'm just so glad to see you, it's so good to see you, I love you dog. I'm so grateful you came this morning, and all that God has in your future for you to pour out into other people, I, I trust he will bless and prosper, and may this morning be an encouragement to you. We're all so glad to see you here and to support you. We've been praying for you on those Tuesday nights and other ways for, for all that God has in your heart, that he would fulfill the purposes he's put in your heart to minister and care for other people, and we'll keep doing that. Um, so this morning, um, we're going to have a communion meditation. And that's, that's really where we're going. Because of what happened with Jen's family yep. um, this week with her father, I was out for the count a couple of days longer than I thought I would be. And, um, and I decided that as a, I, I feel so strongly that God wants us um, carefully thinking about where we are in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, about marriage, about human sexuality, um, about why these all point to his love for us, first and foremost, and seeing us as his bride before we try to contemplate each other as husbands and wives, God really wants us to look at him as our husband redeemer and us as his bride. I feel so strongly, and I'll talk about it next week, why I feel so strongly about that, but I feel so strongly about that that I didn't want to just uh, do a drive-by on that uh, as we go to part two of One Flesh Union and God's Passion for Us. So if you haven't listened to what we did last week, please go back and listen to that message. I. I it, and just so you know, I know some of us will have a hard time with messages on husbands and wives and sexuality. Listen, that's not what that message was primarily about. And, and I think that's part of why God wants you to listen to it. Because I don't think God's trying to first talk to us about being better husbands or better single people or better wives. I don't think he's, he's trying to start there with us. I think he's trying to start with him and his love as our husband and our response to him as his wife all of us in this room who know Jesus Christ are his wife, and and so that's what I feel like he's speaking, and, and that's why I want you to listen to the message, and hopefully it will be easier to listen than getting right in the nooks and grannies of where you are in your own situation. Okay, but this morning, we're going to take communion, and we're going to talk about what our husband, Redeemer, has done to show his life for us. So without further ado, here we go, and I'm going to try not to make this too long, but here we go. I think one of the greatest challenges of the gospel is to understand our need for it. I think one of the greatest challenges of the gospel, you can pull that back, Brando, not yet, is to understand our need for it. It is, just, it is easy for us to forget why we need it and that we need it. And so uh, it, it's just good to come back uh, when we do communion and, and, and sometimes to really take a strong look at where we would be without Jesus, and where the world is without Jesus, so that we might treasure what he's done for us and treasure where he's taken us. So in Galatians 3, we read these words, for all who rely on the work of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This passage is worth ten sermons. Early in the book of <clears throat> The Gospel for Your Life by a man named Jerry Bridges, he tries to help us understand and treasure the depths of God's grace in Christ by helping us see what he's done for people who do not deserve it in themselves. He asks the reader to reflect on their performance before the two great commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Bridges talks about how these commandments might be obeyed. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, for this is God's law, to love him with everything you are. And he says, like David, you would long to gaze upon his beauty and seek fellowship with him. You would rejoice in meditating on his word, and like Jesus, you would rise up early to pray to him. Always, always, always. You would delight always to do his will regardless of how difficult it may be a regard for his glory would govern and motivate everything you do your eating and drinking your working and playing your buying and selling your reading your speaking you would recognize his sovereignty in every event of your life and consequently you'd receive both success and failure from his hand your first petition in the lord's prayer hallowed be your name would be the most important prayer you pray you would not be crushed by unbelief because you're confident that he's working all things for your good. You would be content in your soul because you know he will never leave you and will never forsake you, no matter what he brings you in terms of your circumstance. And he goes on to say, now let's take a look at what Jesus called the second amendment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Among other things, this would mean you would cherish your neighbor the very same way that you cherish yourself. You would love them and want their best in the same way that you love and want your best for yourself. In your dealings with them, you would never show selfishness, never show irritability, you would never show peevishness or indifference. You would take a genuine interest in their welfare and seek to promote their interests, honor, and well-being. You would never regard them with any feelings of pride or superiority. You would never resent any wrongs they do to you, but instead you would always be ready to forgive. You would always treat them as you would have them treat you. You would always treat them as you would have them treat you. To paraphrase 1 Corinthians 13, you would always be patient and kind. You would never be envious or boastful. You would never be proud or rude. You would never self-seek. You would never be easily angered. And you would keep no record, even in your mind, of the wrongs done to you. And then Bridges says, do you begin to grasp some of the implications of what it means to obey these two commandments? And and yes, God is taking us there. Hallelujah. We experience and feel the impulses and the desires of the new creation of the Holy Spirit within us. But we all recognize that when God says, be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect. We run to James, who says, we all stumble in many ways. And so we can say, Lord, you're saying be perfect as I am perfect. And we know that's impossible, this side of heaven. And we can, we can go to your brother by flesh, James, and say, Lord, we all stumble in many ways. But we forget that God says cursed is everyone who does not do everything written. So that God's holiness imposes this otherworldly gravity Into our lives, where we might say, Oh, we're imperfect, it's okay. And God says, Wait, you don't understand. The implications for our mediocrity and our failures in Galatians 3, they couldn't be more serious. Paul says that because of our disobedience and our imperfectness, as we excuse it with, Paul says we're under, apart from Christ, a curse. Because we do not love God as we should. And we do not love our neighbor as we should. And he quotes Deuteronomy twenty-seven, twenty-six: Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Cursed. That's what we are apart from Christ for our sin. When you look out in the streets of Frederick and see all the people that Jesus came to seek and save and longs for. And he does long for them. He's longing for a people that are also cursed. And that's a hard tension to keep together, but it's the tension of the Holy Spirit as he's expressed his heart in his word. See, God is loving, but God is holy and just and infinitely, eternally serious about his command upon us to love him and to love others with all that we are. By the way, that's what holiness and righteousness are, love. He is jealous, For his glory and his honor being reflected in us as it was meant to be. And when we don't live out the holy love that he's called us to live, we suppress that glory that was supposed to be reflected in us. And he doesn't take that lightly. It's sin grave and severe to him. We steal his right to be worshipped in our loving disobedience. And this is why our sins as a race of people, mankind, bring us under a curse before God. Because we've stolen his glory. And he's holy. And listen, I know this word curse, it brings up thoughts of witches' spells and pirate ships and haunted houses. But in God's revelation, it's communicating something much scarier. It's communicating the eternal separation, the eternal outcasting, the eternal condemnation and shame from God, His holiness, His love, and His goodness that our rebellion as a race deserves. And the picture the Bible paints of the effects of this curse is an eternity of sorrow, of regret, of destruction. Jesus' words, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fire does not go out. The worm is not satisfied. These are the words of Jesus, not me. And though in our spiritual recovery from leprosy, we can fail to feel the reality of it, our predicament couldn't be more serious. Apart from Jesus, mankind is cursed by God. But enter Jesus Christ, Enter Jesus Christ. For the first time ever, we see the image of God in man, perfectly reflected as it was meant to be. Jesus loves God with all of his heart, his mind, his soul, and strength. He does this for 33 years on earth. He loves his neighbor as himself wherever he goes. He is for his neighbor. He is laying his life down for his neighbor. He is using what God has given him for his neighbor. He speaks all his words for his neighbor in regard to God. He is the perfect image of God in man. He is what we were all made to be. He is what we will all be in glory, perfectly restored to his image. He is where we are going now as we grow in him. But listen, in Jesus, we see so much more than that. We see so much more than the beautiful example we always wanted to be, we were always meant to be. We see something more than that. In him, we see fully that at the, Heart of God is not only a holiness for justice, but infinite mercy. That just as God must be holy, just as God must be holy in light of sin, so because of his nature, he longs to be merciful to sinners. Just as he must be holy in light of sin, so he longs to be merciful to sinners. And so, in the person of his son, he saw the curse upon us. And in his compassion, he found a way to preserve his holiness and save us from the, sin, the curse and the penalty of our sin. And we're just going to go into news that's just going to get better and better now from here on out this morning. We talked about the disease for a bit so that we could treasure the cure. And now we're just going to look at the cure, folks. In dying on the cross for our sins, God took the pain and the shame and the weight of our curse from us. In the person of his son, he took it upon himself. And listen, brothers and sisters, he took all of it. Dorothy, can you hear me? He took all of it. He left nothing of the curse to be left for you or for me. He took all of it, the curse for all the sins we have committed and will commit, all we have done and not done, all we will do and not done—that do that violates God's holy call to love, to love him and to love one another. He took it, he took the curse we deserved and he exhausted its power and he exhausted its penalty. It's so important that we see that he took all of it so that we don't continue to try to carry it ourselves and pay it back or live in shame or live in self-hatred. Listen to what John Enzor says in his book, The Great Work of the Gospel. I love this question. He just It's so like, duh, like, yes. What good would it be if Christ paid the penalty for just half my sins? Just the ones we've done up until today. What good would it be if he died for all but one of my sins? If that sin separates me from him in eternal punishment. When I put my hope in Christ, I am receiving by faith that Christ's substitutionary, self-sacrificing death covered all my offenses so that nothing remains to hinder God's pure love being poured out on me. The result is that nothing sinful and unpunished now hinders the free flow of God's love towards those who put their faith in Christ. God can say, I will love them freely. This is from Hosea. God can say to you now, I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. Do you believe that though? I mean, listen, God's love will come in the form of a father's discipline, but not a judge's punishment. God's love will certainly must come to you and I in the form of fatherly discipline, training, and sometimes the paddle. Training in the gym and sometimes on the knee. It will come, but it never comes from the heart of a judge judging you and sentencing you. It comes from the heart of a father. Hebrews 10 is one of the greatest proclamations of the all of it doneness of what Christ has done. There the Holy Spirit says. One more back. Is there one more back? Okay, we'll we'll hold there. We have all been sanctified. That means made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's verse 10. We have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is one of the most important, powerful, and freeing passages in Scripture. And then the author compares what the Old Testament priests used to do. All the rams, all the goats, over and over again. Every year Yom Kippur sacrifices again and again and again and again. He contrasts that with Jesus. And here's what he says about the old guys. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, speaking of Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins For all time. Did you hear that? Having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying... And he's quoting from Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And listen to this. Listen, listen, listen. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Where there is forgiveness for all of your sins, there is no longer any offering. Why is there no longer any offering for your sin? I mean, you're going to sin next year at some point, you know? Maybe for some of you guys, it'll take next year because you're just that holy. But at some point, you're going to be imperfect again. For me, it's going to be in the next 28 seconds, (laughs) but why is there no longer any offering for that? What do I do? Now I've blown it, what do I do? Do I go to the priest in confession and have him say some stuff to me, now I'm good again? I mean, that's what I used to live like. It it was like if if I got to confession after I'd done the bad thing, and I got uh, the, the, you're forgiven, and then I got hit by a car right after, I would go to heaven. But if I did the mortal sin, really bad sin, and I didn't get to confession before I did that, I got hit by a car on the way to confession, then I would go to hell. Well, Jesus, the Holy Spirit here is saying there's no longer any offering for your sins. See, Jesus is not still laying in the grave. He's done paying for your sins. He doesn't need to die again and again and again because he's just that worthy. His blood is just that priceless. His sacrifice is just that infinite in worth. You can't out Draw on that account. Listen, if, if you hear me saying, go out and sin all you want, it's okay. Jesus is taking care of that. You may not have the Holy Spirit in you. You may not be a Christian. If that's your response to this, hallelujah, I'm going to go to on a binge. We're told in other places, right? We talk about the fact that we have to live with tensions. We have to beware of false dichotomies, right? Paul will warn us, you can't go on living this way and call yourself saved he'll say that in first corinthians 6 galatians 6 hebrews says it every other verse (laughs) i mean i'm hyperbiasing but hebrews has plenty of that too but you know that's not what i'm talking about here right we're being called to believe in the sufficiency of the sacrifice of his son and to rest in that 700 years before christ walked the earth The prophet Isaiah explained for us the meaning of our communion this morning. He told us what we're celebrating today. He he saw it as well as any New Testament writer. He saw Jesus in prophetic vision as well as any New Testament writer. And he explained what Jesus was doing for my money as well as any New Testament writer in, in such a short amount of verses. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Would you feel this morning the weight of your iniquity, real and imagined? Because Satan will lie to you too about your iniquity. He'll seek to condemn you for things you didn't do. But there are some things you did do that you're still hanging on and you're you're just crushed by. Just Would you just shift the weight off of your back again afresh this morning onto the back of your Savior? Who has the strength to carry it? You don't. I was texting with Tony this week and I said, None of us deserve God's mercy, but we cannot survive without it. That's the point. When we take the bread, a sign of his broken body, and the juice, a sign of his shed blood, we remember the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We forget that God is holy. We forget that he's holy. Then we remember he's holy, but then we remember the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we sin again, or consider the Lord willing, we you know p- John says we should say with John, w- we hope that we will not sin. He says, "My my little children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin." But then he catches himself and he says, but if we do sin. We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And so when we feel that condemnation, that estrangement from God, when Satan tells you God has removed himself from you and distancing himself from you and you can't reach him, we come back to the truth that the Holy Spirit spoke when he said the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It can never condemn us. Because God will not condemn you for a sin Jesus has already paid for. That would be insulting his son's work. He's never going to insult his son's work. He's just going to honor it. And listen, Isaiah tells us God did not do this because he wants a ceasefire. He says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds were healed. God wants your soul at peace because of Jesus. He wants your heart healed because of Jesus. He's not indifferent to you. He didn't just resolve the dispute and he goes his way and you go your way. He loves you. He loves me. He has secured your peace and healing from all the effects of sin, all the hatred, all the selfishness, all the disorder, all the disease, all the death that it brings to our lives. Some of that healing will taste in this life. Spiritually, we should taste a great deal of it. Physically, in miracles, we taste some of it. In the resurrection, we are going to taste all of it and only it forever. And so now this morning, experience the freedom of these words. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what it means to trust Christ and not ourselves for salvation. Paul says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He commands us, right, to follow Him, to be filled with His Holy Spirit. He died for us that we might be filled with His Holy Spirit and walk with Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that so much over the last six months. We're going to keep talking about that for the next six years, Lord willing. But He never wants us to forget that we don't live by our performance. We can't rely on on our performance. We have to rely on his son and his son's work on our behalf. That's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. My blood, the new covenant poured out for many for the remission of sins. He wants us to remember that. That's why he says, do this again and again and again and again. We don't repeat the offering, but we remember the offering again and again. We have to if I could ask whoever is passing out communion to pass out the juice and the bread, Bringing it back to where we are in First Corinthians, folks, this is what our husband, Redeemer, does. Before any of us husbands can be husbands worth any salt, <laughs> we have to rest and bask in what our Redeemer husband has done for us. He's covered our shame. He's covered our nakedness. He's cleansed us. He's washed us. He's making us a pure bride without stain, without wrinkle, without blemish. In Christ, we are that already. in love for us in love for you our husband redeemer in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said to us his bride this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is not on you. It is on him. Your husband, Redeemer, has saved you, his precious bride. Let's drink together. Oh, Jesus, our Husband Redeemer, may your bride today feel and experience your love. May we be reminded in this bread and this juice how much you love us, how far you have gone to save us, your bride, how much you long for us, how much you are jealous for us, and how you are with us till the end. Oh, Husband Redeemer, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.